Hi, Podcast Brunch Club. I just want to take a quick second to thank some of our organizational partners. Podchaser is the IMDb of podcasts and offers amazing search and list creation and now has a cool social feed feature. Lentigua Williams and Company is the production team behind podcasts like Latina to Latina, 70 Million, and Feeling My Flow. Critical Frequency is an all-women-owned and operated podcast network for independent creators and those who are often overlooked in mainstream media. Listen Notes is a powerful podcast search engine that also offers list creation. The Venn puts out a weekly podcast playlist on the political issues surrounding the 2020 U.S. election. And Audio Boom is a podcast network featuring funny, inspiring, entertaining, and thought-provoking podcasts. These are some of our early sponsors, so go to the Podcast Brunch Club website to see all of the great organizations supporting the Podcast Brunch Club community. And go find these companies. They are great for both content and discovery. And they support and give back to the listener community. If you are an individual and want to support PBC, go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. If you represent an organization and want to support the PBC listener community, email me at Adela, that's A-D-E-L-A, at podcastbrunchclub.com. Thanks and happy listening. Hey everyone, my name is Jenna Spinelli. I am one of the co-leaders of the Podcast Brunch Club virtual chapter and a sometimes host on the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. In this episode, we are going to take a step back to the October 2019 PBC playlist, which was all about disruption. If you haven't listened to it or need a refresher, you can find it at podcastbrunchclub.com slash disruption. And one of the episodes on that playlist is from a podcast called Unthinkable, which tells the stories of conventional thinking at work and the people who dare to question it. And I'm excited to talk about that show and about disruption today with Jay Akunzo, who is the host of Unthinkable and the founder of Marketing Showrunners. Jay, welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. Thank you for having me and for that wonderful intro. So, um, as I said, the the episode that was on our playlist was all about uh, an organization called So Far Sounds which I think they would argue is disrupting uh, the live music industry. And uh, I know that Tally Gabriel, one of your producers, did that episode. She does a really great job of explaining how it came on to her radar and her connection to the, the arts and, and all of those things. But I think maybe for purposes of, of taking a step back uh, and, and maybe what, what you can talk about as kind of the, the host and, and creator of the show. Can you talk a little bit about the, the concept behind Unthinkable and how So Far Sounds fits into that concept? Sure. So Unthinkable is really like my public laboratory. So for context, I, I came out of tech doing content marketing for companies like Google and HubSpot, tiny little startup, and then a VC firm. And while I was working in basically brand marketing for the VC, I launched Unthinkable as what I thought would be a show about the creative side of content marketing. So I, I got into marketing because I like to write. And then I got into podcasting just because I thought it would look look fun and wound up hosting a show for my last employer, that, that VC firm. That was about four years ago. And Unthinkable, it just is, it's kind of bobbed and weaved. I always do one-on-one -on -one video calls with about five to six listeners a month. And I just learn so much to improve so quickly. And so 
the concept has always changed because I'm moving with the audience. So it was way more than marketers. So I moved quickly to something else and then something else after that. And, and today it's kind of like we pick a theme pretty much every year and then we try to explore it. And it's a theme that I'm learning from talking to listeners they deeply care about. And so this year's theme is about turning creativity into a habit instead of a Hail Mary. Because I think, you know, working at big corporations, this might be more acute. But I think even if you're your own boss and you're a freelancer, the world has kind of bastardized creativity or innovation, whatever you want to call it, into like pulling random stunts or it has to feel like something big. But I've always found that it's just like this messy slog of trying stuff and and reinventing your work in small ways all the time. So what we're looking at is how does that work? So that, that's the concept of the show right now. And, and so far, certainly slots into that. And I'm happy to talk about how. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that's that's so important, you know thinking about about innovation as that slow slog, right? I think oftentimes when we hear disruption, we think about the sudden change or something changing really quickly. But those are those cases of of companies that do that are, are I think maybe more the exception than the rule. Has has that been your experience? I, I don't think I don't think anybody likes taking risks. Like seeing dozens and dozens of entrepreneurs working in VC, they were awesome at mitigating the risk. Like to hear an entrepreneur talk about their supposedly bold new idea, they present it in logical terms. It's like, if you look at the world in front of you, this can't not exist. So you need to invest or you need to buy, or you need to do this differently. And so it's like, okay, if you actually look at this stuff, you know, we, we laud visionaries for their innovative ideas. I don't think visionaries see the future. I just think they see the present world more clearly than those around them. And when it comes to whatever they're looking at. And, and so that enables them to build from first principles, which seems like it's radical or big or bold to those who are stuck with conventional wisdom, which is a, a big drum I beat on the show. And in all my work, I actually wrote a book about questioning best practices. And it's like, that's what we're all using. Lagging indicators, these visionaries, they're not looking 20 years in the future. They're not doing anything crazy. They're not going zero to 60 without hitting every number along the way. They're just seeing the world more clearly and reasoning from first principles that way. And then making lots and lots of small but good decisions that roll up to look like something big, but behind the scenes, it's not like they leapt with two feet. So I, I, I really like this idea of little wrinkles on the status quo all the time instead of giant random acts of creativity once in a while. And I think the, the latter is what we think creativity is, but the former is what it actually plays out as in reality. Right. And and do you think that that so far and and Rafe the the founder is is an example of seeing the current world differently as opposed to seeing something you know radically different in the in the future? Yeah, I think it his story starts and their story starts with just the the willingness to question something we take for granted, which is basically there's two ways to experience live music. You go to a big concert, so it's everybody is there to see a band, maybe it's an arena, you know, or something smaller, the House of Blues and in Boston, I used to go there a lot and you're with like several hundred people, but you're all there facing forward to watch an act you paid good money to see and they're probably famous at that. Or the alternative is to see somebody that's more local or an unplugged version or a special version, you go to a bar where if you're lucky, you can hear 50% of what they're saying and you bump into lots of people. It's, it's just not a good experience. So what Rafe and Sofar do is they create really intimate experiences in people's homes or in these unused spaces. And it's all about the music, like a big concert, but it's intimate and small and communal like your local bar. And so that to me does not seem radical, 
but they're being dubbed as this kind of music innovation and they're now a global sensation. Uh, yeah. And so um, was it that kind of series of, of smaller changes that, that really drew you to and, and drew Tally to, to focus on them and want to feature them on your show? I don't want to speak out of turn like Tally Gabriel. So I started a, a podcast apprenticeship earlier this year and Tally was the person that I brought on board. And so I basically taught her everything I learned just kind of messing around for a few years as a podcaster personally. And that was her first story to do end to end. So I, I don't want to you know make it seem publicly like I did almost anything on that episode, sure. quite frankly, yeah. she scripted my part. Um, and I did have some questions and some feedback, but so, so what they have a structure to their business that you as an outsider can plainly see how it's about small moments of reinvention all the time instead of big leaps. Like mm-hmm. they started in one city. So once they figured out maybe an, even a neighborhood inside of New York City, they expand around New York City. Then they go to two cities and three cities. And you know they go from a small team because they're a startup to bigger teams. And so, so everything about their business was very on the nose for this theme, which is one reason we wanted to profile it because it's almost like we're saying, hey, look, this is how they did it. And yes, their structure lends itself to refreshing but small changes constantly because they're new and they're city by city. But we should all be thinking about what's the construct of our work that lends itself, no matter what we do, to making these wrinkles on the status quo constantly. Yeah. And huge props to Tally. If that was her first ever podcast episode she did, holy cow, I think back to my first podcast episode, it was nowhere near that good. (laughs) That's awesome. She's wildly talented. And she actually now has her own show called Hidden Connection, which is amazing. It's two episodes in, but it's basically it's her first playground to do what I was doing with Unthinkable. And as the name implies, Hidden Connection is about those hidden but genuine moments in, in business and in life that I think we just we need to hear more about today. Oh, cool. Well, we'll definitely put that in the, in the, the show notes and I look forward to, to checking that one out. Awesome. So as someone who works with brands and, and with companies and having come from like the tech VC background, I mean, do you have people coming to you saying that they want to disrupt something or they're looking to to have some type of like big impact? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking if I could just take a a, a, a quick tangent here. Um, I was watching an interview with one of the 2020 presidential candidates, and uh, this person said that they were doing this particular interview because their staff told them that they had not had a viral moment yet. And I just kind of cringed oh, a little bit when I heard that. But I wonder if the, if the same is true. If people are coming to you, or if you, if you know this from colleagues that, that, that you might work with or have, have worked with if companies are looking to have disruption for disruption's sake? Yeah, I think we do. Not that I've heard it directly, but I think even implicitly, we tend to lionize certain ideas in the business world that become the aim, but they shouldn't be. So one really easy example, I, since I came out of marketing and I, you know, I still teach the craft. So I, I do have Unthinkable, but my core business is marketingshowrunners.com, which is basically a media company that covers this really growing community of, of marketers in-house at brands making shows. And so we want to teach that. We want to evangelize good content, quality content. And so coming out of marketing, still kind of being in marketing, I found that marketers are obsessed with this idea of being different, right? So there's an example of the aim is wrong. Like the, the aim is actually not, don't just be different. Um, like here's an example. I give a lot of speeches. If I give a speech for 45 minutes with my back turned to the audience, I am wildly different. So if the aim is to be different, I'm super successful. But the real question is like, do you want that? Is it any good? Is it welcome? 
And so if something is different and welcome or different and good, we can rebrand that as refreshing. So doing something refreshing compared to the status quo is actually the aim, not doing something different. So so back to disruption for a second. I think I don't think disruption should be the aim. Uh, improving things should be. Progress should be. Uh, building a better world should be. Helping others should be the aim. These are the actual aims. But what happens is the story of those things become the disruption part because it's more dramatic. There's good and bad and existing and and new and there's players to be had and you know actors and it just. I think what ends up happening is you know the WeWork story is a really good example. I think that maybe is about about a, a few bad actors like the founder, some folks around him, SoftBank, etc. Disruption became the story. Disruption became the aim, but it shouldn't be the aim. Improving things should be. And while we improve things, we have to be aware that some people might actually be hurt by that disruption. And sometimes we need to ensure that we're practicing like mindful improvements, that some people are being left behind. It's not progress for the sake of progress and screw you if you can't keep up. It should be progress for the greater good. So when I hear the word right. disruption, I, I cringe. Right. And and is that something, you know, talking about people, you know, bad actors or, or, or people acting in bad faith? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned WeWork. I think we can point to Theranos maybe as, as another example of, of a, a company that uh, where disruption was that kind of overall story. And it was really a mask for some not good things that were going on behind the scenes. Um, I, I think so far has even had had some criticism about the way that it treats volunteers uh, and and things like that. But, uh, you know, all that aside, is it something that you and, and your team take into account when you're considering, say, someone to feature on Unthinkable or maybe a, a potential client to take on, kind of considering whether or not someone is acting in good faith or, or what their, their motivations might be? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is I, I, we're not a news show. And so, but we do have journalistic principles. So Tally and I talked about how so far has had some press where they don't pay artists enough, for example. You know, I, I would argue that artists can very rarely get paid enough, period, because I just, being a creator myself, I have a bias, always pay artists more, always pay creators more, but they got some flack for it publicly. And so we talked about how do we use that? How do we stitch that in? So there was a moment where we were talking about the growth trajectory of so far in the middle of the episode and Tally as a narrator acknowledged that. And then she actually gave the founder an opportunity to address it. And so I think that's all we can do is, is look at that. You know, they're not doing anything so terrible or they're not proactively trying to do something negative that we don't want to give them a platform, right? They're not like disseminating misinformation. And so we just don't want to put them on cable news, which I, you know, that's, we could talk about that. That's a rabbit hole. But so we, we felt good about the story. We felt good about, you know, the experience. Tally's a musician. So she would go to so far concerts and adore them, but life is messy. And so the, the only thing you can do is acknowledge that mess. So we did that with so far. And I think it, it goes back to, if we're talking about, creators, disruption, creativity, what we're trying to do is bring it into the real world as a theme, right? This is how it actually works. It's day-to-day. It's your way of operating. It's reinvention, not random acts or not big, bold risks. That's real real life creativity. All right. So the story has to be real life story. And I think a lot of business stories whitewash it. It's like a person was struggling. Then they did this shiny thing. They had one moment of, of peril and now it's all good. And I can't listen to a lot of like big media outlets that do business stories because it's just, it's bull. <laughs> it's not real. Right. So we we have a section in, we have actually like a structure underneath the stories. 
And there's a whole section, which is basically, if I had to sum it up, it's okay, now mess with it. It's like, we've told you this nice, neat story maybe, and now we have to acknowledge reality is a mess. So where are they still struggling? Where are things still uncertain? Where do we still have questions? Like we like to put nice emotional bows on the end of our story, but what we don't want to say is the word just. If you just do this thing, or they just did that thing, and everything will be great for you, or everything was great for them. No, that's not reality. Reality is a mess. And so that has to be built into the story. Right. And, and I think it's, it's so smart, too, that, that you're focusing on how to make innovation and creativity a, a, a routine or, you know, how to build those habits. That actually ties to something else that was on the disruption playlist. Um, there was an episode of the, the show 10% Happier with Dan Harris. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. Next to yeah. you. Next to you, the VC firm I worked for invested in 10% Happier, the company. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And uh, he had on um, James Clear, who wrote a book called Atomic mm-hmm. Habits. Um, it's all about how to make small changes and and those kind of things. But um, so so, how do you do that? What advice do you give to your clients? I mean, I don't want to, I don't want you to like give away the farm here. You still have to to sell some of this stuff, of course. But um, you know, what are some of the some of the strategies that you found have worked to be able to instill this kind of innovation and, and creativity? on a consistent basis. I, if I'm if I'm like protecting secrets because if I say it publicly I don't have a business anymore, I, <laughs> I already don't have a business. So I'm, I'll give away the farm. And again, most of my business is not consulting anymore. It's actually <laughs> teaching this stuff and being a media company and publishing. So anyway, so I think the thing that I've worked with brands on, the thing that I've tried to get good at and that I've learned from some really good mentors is you can basically distill a show down to three core parts. Uh, there's the show concept. So that sits over the whole program. And that's like a lens through which you view the show. So it's it's obvious how a highly produced, highly edited show lives up to its concept. Uh, an interview show may be less obvious, but I think a concept for a lightly edited or not edited show informs what you would ask, like the moments you're trying to get. And it certainly informs the post-production if you do a lot of that. So that's like unthinkable is heavily post-produced. So you have the concept. Then you have the, sh- the episode format which goes unnoticed in my world, which is brands making shows. A lot of times it's just a meandering open-ended conversation or two co-hosts batting around an idea because nobody has talker's block. So they think that they could just fire up a mic and be great. So you need a format. And then the third part is talent. And so I think putting aside the concept, although that can help for, for just a moment to address your question, where you want to focus is the talent's mindset and the format. Like the talent needs to have a high level of disdain for the cliche. They need to be really good at asking for examples and avoiding some sort of like generic answer. And that brings you into reality and it gets you away from these cliche, pithy, you know, everything is hunky dory after one hurdle is overcome or there's a silver bullet answer or whatever. So the talent's mentality matters. And then you need a format. It has to be baked into the flow of your episode. So even if you listen to Unthinkable, like you probably can't sense that there's a format because it seems like it's one coherent episode, but there's four distinct blocks, almost like you're a TV writer's room. There's A block, A block, B, C, D. There's actually E, which is a short little outro, but we have a documented strategy for the show. So we've baked into it a proactive overt need to get these messy details. That's super great advice. I know like a lot of people in the podcast friendship community are creators themselves. So that's really great. I think whether you're looking to start a podcast or maybe if you already have one for a while, just kind of coming back to those things. I mean, I know on the on the show that I do, we're always kind of reevaluating, is this still the best format, making sure we're all still into the concept and, and you know, we're all still into the same page. Um, 
And, and uh, you know, let me ask too, on a, on a more, maybe more personal level, are there um, strategies that you found particularly helpful for creating those, those habit changes or maybe, um, I know you hate the word disruption, but like personal disruption or, you know, whether it's breaking a bad habit or instilling a good habit, are there uh, either particular habits you've kept or broken or, or strategies you've had for doing that? I think, you know, the, the pithy answer here is side projects. I, I just think, you know, I wish someone told me sooner that actually side projects maybe arguably are more valuable to your career than your like LinkedIn bio would suggest, like the career stops you put publicly, your resume. It's like your creative gym. It's where you learn to develop good habits. It's where you learn what bad habits you're exhibiting. You consume your own work like your audience might. And all of a sudden you're picking up on things like an athlete watching game tape. So for me, it's kind of this movement constantly between publishing lots of stuff consistently, like being willing to put in the reps and maybe be bad at something for a while, then consuming that work and having the empathy. Like I, you know, instead of listening to it on my computer in my office, I might listen to an episode, especially if it's a new attempt at something, I'll listen to it in the actual podcast app. Or if not, if I don't want to publish it, just maybe upload a private link somewhere and I'll go walk the dog and listen to it on my phone, like out in the real world, like a listener would. So it's putting out a lot of work, consuming it like your audience might, and then doing it again. And like, if there's not one, it's great that James Clear wrote a book about developing habits. For me, it's just about like, I feel like my muscles would atrophy if I'm not making stuff all the time. So it's this constant wavering between I'm making stuff and then consuming it. Now I'm trying to improve. Now I'm, now I'm consuming it again. And it, you just keep doing that. And eventually you look backwards and you're like, oh, I developed a habit. And is it good? Is it bad? I should revisit that. Sure. And and do you, do you pair that then with what you hear from your listeners on these these monthly calls that you have? Oh, 100%. I mean, that, that's been such a revelation is like, there's a lot of pithy advice in marketing. Hey, talk to your audience. Or even if you run a podcast, talk to your audience. Like whoever you're serving, you should be talking to those people. And most people shrug and they're like, I have analytics. Or they're like, I watch Twitter and see what they say there. And it's like, actually, if you have a, a 30 to 60 minute conversation with somebody on camera five to six times a month, yeah, like that doesn't quote unquote scale per se, the way that like just tracking people online does. But you know what does scale is what you learn from those people. It affects everything, like the emotional tilt. Are they stressed or not stressed? Maybe there's something, that a word that they use. Like I use the word refreshing a lot. I use the word to describe my business. I use the word in my show. It's because a lot of people that I've talked to, they either say that my show is refreshing, which amazing. That's that's such a nice compliment to hear. Or they talk about how they, they admire other things that are refreshing. Like it's not a word I ever would have thought of, but I'm, I'm spitting it back to them because it's what I got from them. So from the big to the small, yeah, if you have, look, all a career is, is is constant motion forward, right? It's just making stuff all the time and getting better all the time. And you can imbue the forward motion with certain heuristics. And I think the thing we often miss is just talk to people. And all of a sudden, you'll walk away fired up with better ideas so that when you get back to forward motion, implicitly, you're going to be doing it in a better direction. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think that that's really why so many people are even drawn to Podcast Brunch Club as well, because it is that that sense of community. And even not on like So Far Sounds, I would argue that it's people coming together you know, around a common cause, but really... The, the connections you build are are as as much the goal as the whatever the 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 cause or the 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 reason that everyone is is coming together in the first place. So I think maybe to uh, start to to bring things to a close here. Um, speaking of that listener community, 
Podcast Brunch Club is all about listener recommendations. So if people enjoy Unthinkable, are there a couple other shows that you you might recommend they check out? I know we we mentioned Tally's show earlier. We'll definitely uh, include that in the list. But are are there others you would add as well? Yeah, you know it's funny. I, I one of the reasons I I do the show the way I do it, and a lot of the content that I do is I just feel like the business content that I get, the career content that I get, it doesn't match how I feel about my work or the conversations I have about work. Like we we have the whole human spectrum of emotions bottled up in our work. And most business content is very bland. Even if it's smart, it's like sticking a textbook in my ear <laughs> at best. And like, I wanted to create something that was nutritious and delicious. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I just think, from pithy and and gimmicky to you know deep and meaningful and everything in between, I just wanted to try stuff like that. So it's really hard for me to recommend like other business shows because you know once you start doing it for a living, you kind of you appreciate it on a different level, right? You're not l- listening just to listen; you're kind of like picking it apart. Um, so that kind of warps your experience. But I think someone who's really focused on nutritious and delicious business shows is a guy by the name of Ron Tite, T I T E. So he's an author. He's a speaker. He runs an agency in Toronto called Church and State, and his podcast is called The Coup, C-O-U-P, The Coup. It's wildly entertaining. I mean, it's him and his agency making this show about coups, about disruption, honestly. It's like a great little riff on what we've been talking about in comedy, in advertising, in you name it, a lot of different sectors. And he talks to multiple voices. He's a former comedian, so he's very entertaining to listen to. And he skips a lot of the fat that a lot of podcasters struggle with. Like his intros are amazing. They're not boring summaries. So the coup is one that I've been like really obsessed with. And then honestly, I'll go way outside the echo chamber for the next one here. And I've just become a fan of, um, it's called the savvy psychologist. It's actually a, a friend of my wife. My wife is a psychologist and her, her friend, they got their degrees together. It's a solo voiced, fully scripted, very short, you know, her first attempt at a podcast and she brings a practical approach to understanding psychological concepts. And, uh, and I, I just love it. And I like the format too, cause it's not an interview. It's, it's just her. So the savvy psychologist and the coup. Perfect. Well, those are two great recommendations to add to the list. Looking forward to checking those out. Jay, thank you so much for taking the the time to to be with us today. Uh, And again, you can find the episode of Unthinkable at podcastbrunchclub.com slash disruption. So thanks again, Jay. Thanks. Hey, Steve here from the Minneapolis PBC with a few credits. First off, please rate and review our podcast on your podcast player of choice. The music you heard today is downloaded from freemusicarchive.org, and this episode featured music from Chad Crouch with their song Rainbow. The ad music at the top of the show is from Ms. Algana with their song Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by a woman I can't praise enough, Adela. Sarah Da Silva is our other podcast host, the leader of the Houston chapter of PBC, and the founder of Audible Feast. Thanks to Jenna Spinelli, leader of our online PBC chapter. She also writes many articles for the PBC website. Check them out. Lastly, audio editing is done by me. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening. Happy listening.